Good day and good evening, everyone. My name is Paul Cuomo. This is the Library Leaders Podcast by TDNet. Today we have a very special guest. We have Jill Hurst Wall. Jill is a speaker, she's a writer, she's a researcher, she's an educator and a consultant. She's a person who's like many of us, who's actually worn many hats and brings a, a range of skills to really whatever she does. She's someone who's spent her entire career at the intersection of technology and information. She's one of these information professionals that just really enjoys digging into business questions and helping organizations discern the answers. She's well-versed in U.S. copyright law. She provides training and advisory services related to applying copyright law in different situations, including in libraries. She's a former academic and now uh, Professor Emerda in Syracuse University's School of Information Studies, and this is where she taught and held leadership positions. She's also the co-author of the Information and Knowledge Professionals Career Handbook, Define and Create Your Success. And also, Jill is very, very active in the SLA, and if you've attended the SLA conference recently, you may have, uh, you may have seen her. So, Jill, how are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. How are you? Good, good. So, Jill, thanks for joining us. And and really, I know I, I, you know, put together a nice introduction for you, but I like to give the the guest the opportunity to really tell the audience about themselves. So, why don't you do that? What's what's your claim to frame? Why don't you give us a little background about of really who you are? So one thing that doesn't show up, show up in my bio is that I started working in libraries in fifth grade. <laughs> and so I'm one of those people. Um, <laughs> elementary school, junior high, senior high, college. I took a little detour before I went to my library school and then took another detour after library school. I worked in IT for five years before becoming a corporate librarian. And so I think part of my claim to fame is um, the work that I've done as a special librarian. Not everyone has ever met a special librarian, and sometimes I'm the first special librarian that a prospective library science student, for example, has met. Um, and one of the things I learned doing the work as a corporate librarian is I really enjoy the hunt for information. And so at some conferences, I've become known as the link fairy, you know, <laughs> the person who during a session is popping links into chat or popping links into Twitter for the things that the speaker is talking about. That's great. That's really, really interesting. And as I mentioned in the in the intro, you've you've worn many hats in your career and provide a lot of services to your clients from your experience and from your background and, and all that you've you, you know, you, you've been through in your career is there a particular service that you provide that you feel you're you're most known for you know at this point i'm not sure um, because i've done different things in different times in my career, I think it would 
depend on when a person met me and what I was known for at that point in time. So many people now know me as having been an academic. People know me as someone who teaches copyright. Some people might remember me as working on digitization projects, digitization programs for clients. Uh, some people would remember me as being a corporate librarian or being on the board of SLA. So I'm not sure that there's one thing that I'm known for. I think it tends to vary based on when the person met me. I do think that one maybe overarching thing is um, my care and concern for the profession. And I've stayed active uh, in the profession for a long time. I am a person who will make time to talk to someone who is thinking about becoming a librarian or thinking about going to a library science program. And so I'm always interested and willing to you know, talk to people, give them a little bit of advice or whatever they need to move them forward. I think that's great. And what's interesting about, because I look at myself as someone who wears a lot of different hats in, in, in really what I do. And when people ask me, well, what do you what do you like most? Some people just like wear. I, I love all of the the experiences that yes. I had. And I I enjoy having a hand in in all of these in all of these things and and developing those skills. Yeah, I I've really enjoyed I'm sorry, I've really enjoyed the variety that I've had in my career. I don't think I really could have been a person who stayed in the same company, the same exact job for a lifetime. And so the variety has really been been very good for me. And and I, I have another just question on top of this, and I wanted your opinion on this. And we'll get into this in a little bit more detail, but do you feel that kind of wearing more hats in your space is beneficial is more beneficial for a life someone interested in the library sciences who <laughs> as opposed to you know maybe they were a little bit they maybe wanted to be a little bit more focused on doing just what they they like i mean so uh, i think having a breadth of experiences is good yeah um one of the people I taught with at Syracuse University uh, said that he believed that you, if you're going to be a librarian or work in a library, that you needed to have some point worked in food service as a server. Hmm. And um, which is kind of odd, but there's that service element of the profession. There's the you know, being public facing, uh, being able to get things done. And uh, so I think having a breadth of experiences is important. I think, and it doesn't even have to be professional experiences. It could be, you know, what you do for fun or volunteer work or whatever. The other thing is I think people are served by taking in information from other areas of the world other industries, uh, understanding about business, understanding about what's happening in your community, knowing, you know, being interested in elements of the law or whatever it might be. It really 
broadens your perspective and depending on your community, having a broader perspective can be really important in serving that community um, as a librarian or a library staff member. Great point. That's a great point. Now moving toward your your book, the, the Information and Knowledge Professionals Career Handbook, Define and Create Your Success. What what really prompted you to to write that book and so forth? So Ula Destricker and I have known each other for a long time. We served on the board of SLA at the same time. Um, and just both felt that we had experiences and knowledge about the profession, the information profession, that would benefit other people and decided that um, we had not seen a career handbook like we felt should be available, and so we decided to write it. That's great. <clears throat> no, that's great. And I think, you know, you this is your this was your way of kind of giving back to the community, like you you said. This yes. Was, like, this, was, this was your service project. <laughs> yes. And um, both of us had written books before. I think she has written a book since then. And I had forgotten how much work a book is. You know, when someone says they're going to write a book, they're going to do a lot of work. And it's not all happy work. Um, you know, the idea generation, the, you know, what chapter is going to be what, the initial draft, that's all happy work. Yeah. But getting, pushing towards that finish line, that's work work. And so uh, this really was work work. But we enjoyed it. And, um, and I know that it's been well received over the years by the profession. It's great. No, that's great. Now, is is there a particular book that you have read that that has influenced you, you know, your career, your life that maybe you'd like to share? You know, that's a tough question for me because um, I'm not a book reading librarian. Um, and I people think that's odd. But there are not everyone who works in the library thinks of books as being their preferred um, their preferred medium, and so books are not my preferred medium. Newspapers, magazines, podcasts, videos, yes, the occasional book. Um, mm. But uh, so I think again, it would depend on of what's going on in my life or what era it is, what would be most important to me. Um, I really value content from different sources and different points of view. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so that's a hard question for me to, for me to answer. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. And as far as your take on consuming content, albeit from magazines or, or podcasts. Is is there a podcast that you're listening right now that's kind of caught your caught your ear? Wow. Um, so when I was on campus, it was easier for me to listen to podcasts because I'd walk back and forth to my car and I parked about a mile away from my building. So that was good podcast listening time. And then the last year and a half with 
everything that's happened in the world. I don't have that dedicated listening time anymore. Yeah. I still find time for some podcasts. Um, so with that caveat, let me list off a few. I like um, um, Ear Hustle, uh, which is a podcast done out of San Quentin mm -hmm. and uh, uh, done by people outside of San Quentin, uh, some that are formerly incarcerated, as well as people inside San Quentin. I think that is a really interesting um, podcast and gives you a point of view that you would not have otherwise about being incarcerated and about life after incarceration. Interesting. Um, the Copyright Clearance Center has a podcast that used to be called Beyond the Book and it uh, just changed names. Um, I think it's the Velocity of Content is mm -hmm. now what it's called called. Um, and I like that one. I've listened to that one for years. I don't always listen to every episode, but if I want to know what's happening in publishing, with copyright, with um, those intersection with libraries, that's been a good podcast over time for me. Again, I don't listen to everyone, but um, really going back a number of years, what got me into that podcast was their coverage of the Google lawsuits, the Google copyright lawsuits. So mm -hmm. I, I like that one. Um, my mind is going totally blank. Um, so let me just list off two more, sorry. Um, there's a podcast called This Land by the same people, the same publishing podcasting group that does Pod Save America. And this one is on uh, Native American communities. They've done, uh, they did a series a few years ago, which was on land, hence this land. And they've just started a new uh, set of podcasts um, on a particular law. Uh, it's around, a, around adoption, broadly speaking. Um, and those have, those are really interesting because we don't, in school, you don't learn about what has happened to um, the indigenous people in our country. And mm -hmm. so to think about how their land has been taken away from them um, in all the different ways. And then to think about how their lives have been disrupted with children being taken away from them. Mm -hmm. So that's a, a great podcast. And then I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention T is for training which is a podcast that I've been involved with almost since it started in 2008. And we're training, we're a podcast about training, learning, teaching, um, initially in libraries, but we've broadened out to be broader than that. And we often have guest speakers and it's just a fun podcast to be a part of. We all learn from being a part of it and then we push it out for other people to listen to. That's great. No, I think this is, I think definitely have taken notes of of some of the podcasts that you mentioned. I'm gonna I'm gonna search them and look listen, give them a listen myself. But that's great. What a what a list. That's awesome. And you know, Jill, following up on the last podcast, um, my next question has to do with your you know your coaching services. And one of the things that you say you do with regards to those services is that you 
you coach new leaders in time management and communication. And I wanted to see if you can really speak a little bit more about this from from your experience. And sure. Um, so one of the things that doesn't happen in school, no wherever you are in school, is learning about how to communicate with other people, how to um, what information does your staff need? What information might you be might you need to communicate? Maybe they don't even know they need it. Um, how do you communicate with your team, for example? So you know, kind of that area, as well as how do you organize what you're doing? How do you ensure that you're getting things done? And I enjoy talking with people about both of those. I've also done some webinars on them. Um, I think. You know, how do you get things done? Everyone has their method, but yeah. what's important is you have a method. Yeah. And the, the method can't be that you start a new to-do list, and then instead of crossing things off of that to-do list, you put that to-do list in the drawer, and then you start another to-do list, which mm -hmm. I actually know someone many years ago who did that. Um, and we couldn't figure out why the person never got things done until the person moved to a different job. And then we found all the old to-do lists mm -hmm. in the drawer. So how do you get things done? How do you ensure that you're on track? How do you think about your goals? And then how do you um, communicate with your team? One of the things I did probably four years ago now, um, I was starting a new um, kind of a, a research group when I was at Syracuse University focused on thinking about public libraries and I had students. Uh, so this is a research group of students working with me that were going to be working with me and I decided to create a blog post because I have a blog about what I wanted them to know. So, you know, tips about writing emails, tips about, um, oh, I don't remember all the things, the writing emails always stands out to me, but you know, some other things I just wanted them to know and go through before we started working together. So they could think about how to write a good email, um, how to, you know, think about time management, how to uh, have empathy. Uh, there's a series of blog posts that um, a woman did on has done on those and it I think that really helped us get off on a good foot they knew how I thought about those things and then we sat down and talked about you know okay so how are we going to communicate with each other and one of the students said she liked slack yeah like okay and there's other tools you can use besides slack but we had adopted slack we decided how we were going to use it and we did more in Slack than we did in email because we wow. get overwhelmed with email um, where a lot of the messages were just short like I'm running late. What time is the meeting? You know, what's the agenda? And those are all things you can do in Slack. Yeah, I mean, I I actually have a Slack account and I, I think it I think it, it, it's great that you know how to use it and you can show people the benefit of it because it sounds like it's a really good segue 
well, kind of in intermediary or between email and texting. Yes, it has a, you know, it, it, you can create channels, you can have attachments, you can do private messaging. Um, we had channels for different things. It was just a nice, um, easy way of keeping in touch uh, uh, between our, and we would have regular meetings. Um, and um, let me just segue a second and just say, um, at the Joint Conference of Librarians of Color Conference in 2018, um, I think it was 2018, in Albuquerque, I went to a session on bullet journals. And I'd heard about bullet journals, journals I'd watched some videos, and I went to a session where two uh, library people talked about their bullet journals, not the foo-foo, fancy, colorful bullet journals, but just bare bones, this is how you use a bullet journal. This is how you use it to get things done. And I've had a bullet journal ever since. And so when I talk to people about how to get things done, I sometimes walk them through my bullet journal as, you know, this is not maybe the method for you, but see how you can kind of organize your thinking so that you stay on top of what you need to do and how you get things done. Interesting, interesting. That's really interesting. Now, one of the, the services you mentioned you perform are, are brainstorming sessions. During these sessions, if, and I'm just curious, and I've been a part of them, you know, what, what would be your strategy for giving um, some constructive, constructive feedback? And maybe you can kind of tell me a little bit, you know, just about the brainstorming sessions and what you're looking to accomplish. And so a brainstorming session is a collaboration between me and the client focused on what that client wants to get done. Okay. Kind of what direction do they want? What do they want to get out of the session? What do they want to learn? You know, whatever it might be. And then it's reacting to what actually is happening during the session. And so you know, pushing, pulling people in certain um, directions in terms of um, how they're thinking about the topic or drawing out some specifics from them, uh, ensuring that things get kind of written down somewhere and noted, but also sometimes a little bit of going with the flow. Yeah. Um, and I think the one thing about brainstorming sessions is that you need to uh, really brainstorm. People don't brainstorm. They think of something and that's often what they want to uh, they want to do. Yeah. Um, there's a book I believe called The Ten Faces of Innovation done by a gentleman who worked for IDEO, um, which is a, a company that helps other companies with innovation. And there's a list in there of brainstorming rules, which I use, about you know how do you brainstorm. And I've I've done conference sessions um, about brainstorming. I've put the rules up and then I've gotten like large groups of people to divide themselves up for brainstorming sessions during a conference session. So 15 minute brainstorming using these different uh, rules around brainstorming. And one is that you don't um, 
you don't make a decision on an idea right away. You make lists of ideas, you brainstorm, you throw as many ideas as possible and you don't stop. And then when you're done, you've made a list of 100 items or you've brainstormed for X number of minutes, then you go back and you start to decide and talk about the items and which ones really are realistic and which ones aren't. But people often judge as they're brainstorming and that stops them from really brainstorming. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's really, it's just essentially what comes to your mind. You just process it without judgment. Right, <laughs> yep. You write it down and, yeah. and you keep going. And yep. one of the best, there's several brainstorming techniques, but um, one is the long list where you try to make a list as long as possible. And oftentimes the goal is like a hundred, you know, write down a hundred different ideas about X and you can get there. And some of them are going to be really crazy, but as IDO has said, and as you can prove when you do it, the most creative ideas are not the first ones. The first ideas are the things that you've already thought about, you've already done, you've already dismissed. Things after number 50 or so are really creative. Those are the things that you go, yeah, that's different. That could really move us forward or that could be like a really unique product or service idea. Yeah, that, that's a great point. That's a great point. Interesting, interesting. Now, you, you've mentioned that you counsel, you know, new grads or newer librarians or those interested in the space. And and I was just wondering, from, from your opinion, what do you what have you found the new grads and the newer librarians bring to the information management space that maybe their their predecessors did not? And if you can also say in that, what in, in that um, tell us what do you feel they skills that they could strengthen? So everyone always says that the the, the grads. Um, the newer librarians bring in energy, they bring in new ideas, um, they have a passion for the profession that is um, fresh, that is energizing, and that's all true. Um, they often are of a similar age, you know, yep. I'm, I'm, I've got my hand kind of wavering back and forth, similar age kind of to the people they might serve. So if they're going into a public library, a K through 12, a college library, you know, they may not be that much older than the people who are walking through the door or some of the people walking through the door. And I think that's a real benefit. They understand what that group is looking for, um, what will resonate with that group and maybe how to expand that group's experience of what the library is. They tend to be less afraid of technology. Mm -hmm. um, their use of technology may be different than someone who's 10 or 20 years older. But I also think the people who are um, been working in libraries longer often have technical skills that the newer librarians don't have. Hmm. Um, they've used 
library software uh, database is longer, they, they probably have gone through different iterations. They have an understanding of the technology that's different um, than, than people who are fresh out of school, and I think they can learn from each other. Um, I think the, the some skills um, that, some technical skills that a person who's new in the profession might want to strengthen would be uh, their skills in using um, word processing software, uh, spreadsheet software, things like that. Mm -hmm. Everyone can type into word processing software. Doesn't mean that you're using it the best way. And I think taking some time to explore the software, maybe doing some online lessons or whatever that might be, can really help you in the long term. So that's something I think about. Um, I think that a, a new grad can always learn something more about management, uh, can always learn something more about the library information space in general by maybe visiting other libraries or other information organizations by networking, um, by reading or listening to library podcasts, whatever it might be, but you're not done learning. You're really never done learning. And so finding ways of keeping up that learning, sharpening your skills, expanding your skills are all things that a new graduate needs to do. That's true. Great answer. That's a great answer. Now, on the same topic of technology and the future, ha have you come across any tools or technologies for <clears throat> for libraries that have that have really caught your eye? I mean, where do you <clears throat> where do you see technology in the library slash information space really making making the difference in the future? Um. So there's libraries using technology in a lot of different ways. One of the groups I'm involved with um, is advocating for controlled digital lending. Mm -hmm. So libraries lend digital items already. They do um, sometimes digital delivery of interlibrary loan already. But thinking about how do you expand your digital lending uh, through a controlled environment. And people can can use the phrase controlled digital lending and find a website about this. But I think, you know, how do we, that's a, a way of using technology to kind of serve our community better. Mm -hmm. And I think existing technology, by the way. So mm -hmm. for libraries, how do we use existing technology to serve our communities better? And not every library is poised to do that. When I got involved in digitization several decades ago, I thought every library is going to be doing this. Mm -hmm. Of course, everyone, you know, we've got these large libraries. We have Google who are out in front who are pushing this forward. We will all learn from them and we will all do it. But we all didn't. Um, and now we have other technologies that have come into our libraries. And I think we all should be doing whatever that thing is, but not every library is poised for it. And so somehow getting all of our libraries 
into these different technologies, whether it's by having interns who are well-versed in the technology or new hires or collaborations or whatever, um, but even our small libraries, wherever that small library is, needs to be able to serve up the same technology, same technological advances, the same whatever that phrase is, as the larger, likely urban libraries. Yeah. So, so I don't look to the future and go, oh, there's something magical in the future. I want libraries, every library, to be able to use the technologies that are available now. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Now, one of the things that I see that's happening more and more is that there's becoming more of a crossover between knowledge management, you know, knowledge managers, and and the library and librarians. You know, do, do you feel this is true? I mean, how do you feel? I and mean, what have you been seeing out there? Something I've kind of noticed that there's there seems to be a a convergence. So when you say knowledge managers, do you have a particular type of job or skill in mind? I would say that the, and, and this is just based on some of the, the conversations that I've had with, with them, and a lot of these knowledge managers work for, work for corporations. They are, you know, responsible for, um, yeah, obviously managing the the database of knowledge of, of researchers and, and people within the organization. And some of them have actually told me that there's um, there seems to be a conversion or they're trying to, and some organizations trying to kind of merge some of the roles or having allowed managers do the work of of maybe librarians within in the corporations traditional roles. So yeah. I, I, I didn't know if that's something that you feel is uh, is happening or do you think those roles are going to kind of remain separate? Because the, the title knowledge manager, it, it's very, it's, it's, you actually see that in the, in the library space too. It's a lot of librarians will call themselves knowledge managers. Right. But there's also it's also kind of defined in its own kind of career path in um, in other ways as well. So that's interesting because the reason why I asked is, is I think that corporate libraries have been doing that work for a long, long time, mm -hmm. long, long, long time. Um, and, but I think the knowledge management comes out of a different space in a yeah. corporation correct and it and i wonder if it grew out of um that organization not realizing that the library could do that or was doing that or did it grow out of um maybe competitive intelligence work in that corporation did it grow out of um, an area like corporate marketing or something else? 
but I think that that overlap has ex has existed for a long time. That there's been corporate librarians doing that work for a yeah. long time, and there's been corporate librarians who have moved into a more quote unquote knowledge management role outside of the library. Um, I think sometimes. It, also that um, organizations don't realize that when they look for a knowledge manager, they should be looking for a librarian. Mm -hmm. They think of it as being some other skill set. Um, and I don't know if that's uh, us as librarians not marketing ourselves well, or is that the corporation not understanding what we do. I know that there's been, I've had students in the past who have walked up to a, a, um, a, um, a corporation's um, table at a career, career, um, career day and, you know, been interested in a job with that particular corporation and we'll, you know, talk to the person, we'll talk about their skills, we'll talk about the job and, and the, the recruiter's like, yeah, 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 you know, this is sounding good. And then the recruiter will say, well, what's your degree? And the student finally has to say library science and the recruiter's not interested. Mm -hmm. so, um, so I think corporations, organizations knowing what we do and somehow getting over um, or understanding that we can work in many areas of a corporation, of an organization, not just a corporation, um, and we're, we don't have to be tied to being in a library. My clients, when I was doing competitive intelligence research, didn't care that I was a librarian. In fact, you know, probably most of them didn't even know what my degree was in. What they knew is I knew how to find information. And so they were, they hired me based on, they hired me based on my skill set. And I think organizations need to do that. Um, need to get away from what the degree is and hire you based on your skill set. And then I think they would hire more librarians as knowledge managers. Yeah, and, and with, it, with that, that's a great point. And, and perhaps the, the, the people that I spoke with it was really they were referring to a much more a narrow situation, but I just thought it was good to note because I was a little bit um, surprised when they, when they said that, and I wanted to, your take. But that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense what you just said. Now you were on the SLA panel for career pivots. Yes. And I was wondering if you can tell us what what was that like. That was a lot of fun. Um, the three of us on the pan, the three panelists and our moderator, uh, had a wonderful conversation about the pivots we've made in our career. We know that uh, most people do pivot. You might even might not even recognize that you've pivoted from one career into another. Sometimes they're kind of minor pivots. Sometimes they're really major pivots, but it was fun to hear each one of us talk about the changes that we've made over time in our careers, what made us 
go from one thing to another. Um, even, you know, that, that kind of recognition that really was a pivot was kind of fun. Like, yeah, you, you really did pivot. And maybe at the time you didn't realize it was a pivot. Um, but it's, it's a normal thing in careers to go from focusing on one thing to focusing on something else. Uh, I think most people do it. I think very few people do the same thing for their entire career. Um, and even then, I think if they looked back, they'd see, oh, yeah, I actually did change. I really am not doing the same thing I did 40 years ago. Yeah, that's interesting. Now, that's great. It sounded like it was sounded like it was a great, great session. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Now, going back to your career, could you could you share with us perhaps the biggest obstacle that, that you have had to overcome and how'd you do it? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> you um, just trample over anything that got your way to your success. No, but it's... Uh, yeah, I've, I've been a risk taker uh, cool. during my career, um, a person who's willing to say yes. Mm-hmm. Um, a person who's willing to say yes, and then I'll figure it out later. <laughs> oh. <laughs> what did I say yes to? Um, you know, I think one one obstacles, and this goes back to pivoting, is uh, sometimes when you pivot, the people around you, your current clients or whomever, don't understand the pivot. You're doing what? Like, you don't do that. <laughs> like, yeah. no, I do. I do that thing. And so I think that's one uh, obstacle. I think, you know, as I say that, I think the for as a consultant, consultants have to constantly market themselves. And so that constant marketing is always a hurdle um, for anyone who, I think, for everyone who's a consultant. Because you have to do the work. Yeah. And you have to be marketing yourself for the next project. Um, I love what you said that you take that you took risks. I think that's so important. Yeah, yeah. And 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 you know, being a consultant has been was a risk. Um, Going to work at Syracuse University as faculty was a risk, but um, but I like saying yes. Yeah. No, I think that's great. That's great. And that's a good thing for for people to know that sometimes you just have to go for it, even if you're not 100 percent sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's funny because on on the, I'm on I'm pretty active on LinkedIn and there have been several posts about, well, you know, you just have to believe in yourself. You just have to believe in yourself to be successful in life. And I kind of come from the in the the camp of saying, look, I mean, if. If you really, um, you know, competence and and confidence kind of go hand in hand. So you 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 if you to be really believe in yourself, there there really has to be a, kind of some sort of foundation of, of success in some way, shape, or form. But if you don't have that, then you just need to be courageous and just do it. And I had a boss who um, drilled into me and others that. Um, 
you know, if, if you got approached with a project, say yes. And then get off the phone and let's all figure out how to do it. Yeah. And um, and so when you when you take on something new, when you make a pivot, when you do whatever, there's a, a world of people out there who can help you figure it out. And that's why networking is important. That's why going to conferences is important. That's why uh, places like LinkedIn are important because you may suddenly find yourself with a project or with a with something to get done that you don't quite understand but there's someone out there that you're connected to who does understand yeah and that, and that you can ask for help and asking is not a bad thing yeah no i agree i agree that's I agree with you 110%. LinkedIn's a great resource, <clears throat> and it's it's really a goldmine to meet uh, from meeting like-minded people fairly easily and um, communicating with them. Yep. Nothing else like it. Nothing. Yeah, and I would say that with the right in the right group, mm-hmm. Facebook can be very good, uh, depending on. Uh, who you're connected with on Twitter and the hashtags and you know all that. Twitter yeah. can be very good. I found uh, I found I am actually shot. I mean, there are a lot of librarians on Twitter. Yes, sir. Uh, <laughs> a lot. You can actually, and just as a as a note to any any listener, if you want to connect with some really interesting librarians, you, you could just find one and then go to his or her followers and who they're following and you'll find thousands <laughs> yeah yeah yep. yeah but tw- you know over the years twitter has been great for um getting some questions answered um you know not always professional but you know hey i'm stuck on this amtrak train does anybody know why this train is not moving and i remember someone tweeting back going call this you know or look at this Twitter account or look at this blah, 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 mm-hmm. and, and you'll find out. It's like, oh, well, I didn't know that. Um, or, you know, being stuck in an airport and with a flight that's been canceled and tweeting at my, my dean, like, I don't know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> and having that dean tweet right back, like, this is what you do. Um, Twitter can be incredibly helpful. But again, it's, you're right, it's who you follow, it's uh, knowing how to like m- message people, and this goes back again to you know how do you communicate with those around you. I think one of the things that that leaders should talk about with their team is what's the best way to communicate with me, yeah. and what's the best way to communicate with me if it's an emergency. And so with my students, I would always say, you can tweet at me, and I will see it. I'll see that tweet pretty fast if you tweet at me, but don't ask me a question because if you ask me a question and I answer it, someone's going to see the answer and not have seen the question. And now it's all out of context. So tweet at me and tell me that you sent me an email (laughs) or tweet at me and tell me to go look, you know, wherever, but you know, this is the best way for you to, to like get at me instantly. Um, and get my attention. And I think leaders need to think about that with their staff. True, very, very true. Now, is there anything 
right now is there is there anything that you you would change in you know in the library information space i mean if if there's anything what would what would it be how libraries are funded hmm. um so um public libraries are generally funded out of tax dollars mm -hmm. um, and that can be good. K through 12 libraries are funded out of school budgets and they get they might get some money from you know from from the state um, or from maybe taxes. Mm -hmm. uh, you know that's an area where I'm not really sure of the funding. Um, Academic libraries are funded out of that college or university's budget um, in some fashion. But I think all of those models could be changed so that libraries are funded more consistently. So that libraries don't have to go through the the um, roller coaster that sometimes happens when a um, I don't know when when sales tax isn't as high as it was the year before yeah. or when money has to be diverted to fix buildings instead of doing the library, you know, making library services available. I think all of those um, funding structures, whatever they are for your library, should change so that you're funded more consistently and you're funded better. Yeah, I'd love a, to listen to a brainstorming session on that. <laughs> I, I I really I really would. I mean, there's I've worked for companies where each department they would just tie their budget to the performance of the organization mm -hmm. um, as a way of doing it. Have you ever heard of that? Anything like that? Or I'm just curious if that's not for a library, but yeah, I know that's. Oftentimes, I think um, thinking research and development sometimes is a percentage of corporate mm -hmm. earnings or something like that. So, yeah. Um, but for a library, you know, libraries should should be funded. Mm -hmm. You fund um, your water system in your municipality. You fund roads and road construction and snow removal and the building of bridges. You fund all these different things pretty consistently. Yeah. Um, and you increase the funding because those things need maintenance. So why not do the same for your library? Fund it well, fund it for, uh, fund it to be the infrastructure that you know that it is for your community and then fund it so that, inf so that library infrastructure staff materials building is maintained mm -hmm. uh, and while you're at it if you really want to um, be kind and forward thinking for your municipality um, fund internet access for your community mm -hmm. yeah it's a great point that's a great point now moving to the future it's been a difficult year 
and well, year and a half now, but we're 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 trying to remain hopeful. And I just wanted to get your final thoughts on really what in the information slash library space kind of makes you hopeful for the future. Anything that excites you in particular? Anything that comes to mind? Um, I'm excited by innovations uh, or new uses of existing technology that occurred during the pandemic and that I hope libraries will use going forward and more libraries will you know, grab onto. There are some libraries that did um, innovative things during the pandemic in terms of serving their community when their doors were closed. Mm -hmm. And um, I think having those things go forward in the future would be awesome. Mm -hmm. um, I I think we can learn from other. Um, I think we can always learn from other industries, and I think other industries also did some very interesting things during the pandemic that perhaps we can learn from and use in the future. So, um, but we need time to do that. We need to, you know, have a little breathing space to do that. And and sometimes we need some funding to do that too. Um, I'm, I'm actually personally interested in how our conferences will continue to change going in the future. I think we've seen a, a lot of struggle, a lot of interesting things happen with conferences uh, during the pandemic. Um, you know, in 2020, I think people were just like, how can we do this conference online? And now 2021, I, my sense is people are like, okay, we did something in 2020, now how can we do it better? You know, what technology exists now that maybe was developed in 2020 that we can use? Um, what and so how then do we move that forward uh, into the future and make our conferences better, you know, both on site and virtual. I have a friend who was at a conference last week in uh, Salt Lake City, uh, the Association for Talent Development, and they use headsets in their large um, ballrooms or you know, those big convention center, huge rooms, so that you could have three sessions going on at the same time, all facing in different directions. And everyone got a headset, a little throwaway um, receiver. Uh, I don't know how big, but I'm imagining maybe as big as a match pack if we used match packs these days. And then, you know, earbuds. And there was a switch, so you could switch to listen to the speaker on your stage who had a microphone and who was broadcasting through your headset. But the people behind you were looking at another speaker on a different stage and they were tuned that speaker's um, frequency. And so this, as I was talking to my friend, I was like, oh, this reminds me of the headsets at the UN where people are listening to simultaneous translation and I'm listening to French and you're listening to German or to the um, silent disco headsets that you might have seen at some conferences where there's a silent dance party, excuse me, a silent dance party, where every headset can be tuned to different 
channels with different types of music. So everyone's listening to their preferred music and they're all dancing in the, this silent space. So here's an interesting use of that technology going forward into a conference space. And I think those are the types of things like how did we take something that was used at the UN and now apply it to our conferences in a way that makes us use the space more effectively and still deliver the content that everyone wants. That's a great that's a great answer and that's those are some definitely some great points and hopefully that's going to come to fruition and fruition in, in the in the near future. I think that would be really really cool. Yeah. So, well, listen, I think that that pretty much you know, wraps it up, Jill. This is this has been a gr joy. I think um, I've had a great conversation with you. Um, you've uh, you know answered all my questions, and I think I think for the most part, the audience is going to get a lot out of it, which is I think what we what we both wanted. So, thank you for for um, spending this time with me. I really appreciate it. It's um, it's not often that anyone gets to kind of sit down and think back through what they've done and think about the lessons or the things that can be carried forward. So I really appreciate the conversation. Great. And what I'm going to do, Jill, is we're going to put your contact information in the uh, yes. podcast. So if anyone has any questions, anyone wants to contact Jill about her, um, any of her services, uh, you will be able to to see that in the notes of the the podcast. And Jill, finally, if someone wants to uh, call you direct directly, what's what's the best number to call you? So um, I'm going to say, don't call me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, uh, and you know, we all get junk phone calls, unfortunately. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I tend not to answer my phone unless. I actually know who's calling. The best thing to do actually is to email me. Mm -hmm. um, provide some information about what you're looking for, what you want to talk about, and then let's arrange a time. Um, that is, that really kind of organizes, gives me information so I can organize my thinking so that we have a more meaningful phone or video conversation. Um, but yeah, don't, don't gotcha. call. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That actually makes a lot of sense. You might you might be a person trying to sell me a warranty on an old vehicle or something. Oh, I have been getting bombarded by those. I don't the last like six to eight months. <laughs> that's been uh, that that's been. I'm surprised I haven't gotten a call now, but. <laughs> but anyway, well, listen. Thanks so much, Jill. Really appreciate it. Um, definitely, I think everyone's going to get a lot out of this um this podcast. And uh, oh, thank yeah. you. We'll definitely be in touch. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye. All right. You got it. Bye-bye now.